Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah. You live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Did you hear that? Wine and champagne is 20% off. And that? Medium selection boxes like Skittles and Cadbury mix and match any three for five euro. 20 and 24 can boxes of Coke, Diet Coke and Coke Zero are just 12 euro. Have you got any 10 off 50s? And that's the sound of better value. Every week leading up to Christmas, there's new savings to be had. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Vouching abuse to next grocery shop of 50 euro or more. Voucher excludes alcohol. Please drink sensibly. Huntsville, Alabama is called Rocket City due to its involvement in space exploration. After World War II, German aerospace engineer Werner von Braun was secretly moved from Germany to Huntsville, where he developed the rockets that would send the United States' first satellite into space. Today, Huntsville is home to the Marshall Space Flight Center, which has produced 32 Saturn rockets, six of which have been used to send astronauts to the moon. Amy Bishop couldn't get the respect she deserved amongst her colleagues, and when she was fired from her position as a professor of biology, she made sure that she would get the final word. This is Monsters. On December 6, 1986, Amy Bishop, 21 years old at the time, was home at her family's house in Braintree, Massachusetts. Their home had been burglarized the previous year, and Amy claimed that she was scared of intruders. Amy's father, Sam Bishop, had purchased a shotgun after the burglary and taught Amy how to load it, since he normally kept it unloaded. 
That day, she said she felt scared, so she retrieved the gun from her father's closet and the ammunition from his dresser. According to her statement, she loaded the weapon but didn't know how to unload it. So when her brother, 18-year-old Seth Bishop, returned home, she went downstairs to ask him for help. As she turned to hand him the shotgun, it went off, hitting him in the chest. Police arrived on scene and were told by Amy's mother, Judy Bishop, that she had witnessed the shooting and that it was an accident. Seth was rushed to the hospital, where he died a few hours later. After a brief investigation, the death was ruled an accident and no charges were filed. The area's residents expressed their condolences for this tragic accident and people moved on, but there was so much more to the story and those details would remain hidden for nearly 25 years. Amy Bishop was born on April 24, 1965 in Iowa City, Iowa to Sam and Judy Bishop. They had been living in Iowa City while Sam was completing his graduate degree in fine arts. When he was finished, they moved back to Massachusetts where Sam got a job teaching art at Northeastern University. The young family settled in Braintree where Sam and Judy had another child, a son named Seth, in 1968. Judy grew up quiet and reserved and though she outperformed most people at everything she did, she didn't feel like she got noticed by her parents. That's because the only person who could outperform Amy was Seth. Where Amy excelled in academics, Seth did even better. He was a master in mathematics and science. Amy was a natural when she took up the violin, but soon Seth was asking to also play the violin and it turned out that he was a virtuoso. On top of that, he was able to do all the things she wasn't able to do. He had friends and teachers liked him. Seth was a member of the Boston Youth Symphony was named the concertmaster of their high school, he won the National High School Math Award and first place in the Science Award in both categories of chemistry and biology. Their high school literary magazine even published some of his short stories. It was a lot to live up to, made worse by the fact that he was her younger sibling. Like brothers and sisters do, Amy and Seth fought often. Amy's resentment would grow when they attended high school together where she was the weird girl and Seth got along with everyone. It became worse when he graduated from high school and enrolled in Northeastern University, where his father worked and Amy already attended. While there, Seth blossomed and his accomplishments grew. No matter how much Amy accomplished in the sciences, Seth always outshined her. She believed that her parents favored her brother. While at Northeastern, Amy joined the Dungeons & Dragons Club, which didn't help boost her popularity, but it did introduce her to fellow student Jimmy Anderson. Most stories about Amy Bishop refer to him as James because that's what Amy called him, but his name was actually Jimmy. His birth certificate said Jimmy Anderson Jr. His father was also Jimmy. Amy refused to call him anything but James. When she finally met his mother, Sandy Anderson, a year after they started dating, Sandy was confused by her son's girlfriend calling him something besides his name. It was like a backwards nickname. It seemed as though Amy thought the name Jimmy wasn't classy enough, so she insisted on calling him James. Growing up, Amy had asthma and severe allergies, which made her frequent the hospital. She became interested in science during those trips. She wanted to cure her illness and thought she could do that through genetics, so that's what she studied. Jimmy was also a biology student and he and Amy had a lot in common, but a relationship with her brother was not one of them. 
Seth seemed to have no interest in being friends with Jimmy, which may have put more strain on the siblings' relationship. On top of that, Seth tried to give Amy advice about gaining friendships by encouraging her not to join the D&D club. Amy resented this advice due to her belief that everything came easy for her brother. When he purchased a bright red Camaro, Seth's popularity only increased. Seth also continued to win awards at the university. He won first place at the school's science fair, second place at the Eastern Massachusetts State Fair, and third place at the state level. Seth wouldn't even mention these awards, and Judy would find out about them in the morning paper, then show it to Amy, saying, Look what your brother did again. At the beginning of December, Seth told his parents that he didn't want anything for Christmas, and Amy had to listen to her parents gush about how sweet and generous Seth was. Seth this, Seth that, and then on December 6, 1986, Seth was gone. Two weeks after the shooting, Jimmy and Amy would drive to the Anderson home where Amy met Sandy for the first time. Neither of them would say anything about her brother's death. In the previous two weeks, Jimmy hadn't said anything about Seth's death or about attending his funeral. Jimmy and Amy got married on August 20th, 1989, at the same church where the funeral was held. Now, I'm not a superstitious person, but that still seems weird having both of those memories in the same place? After the wedding, Amy didn't take Jimmy's name because she wanted notoriety for future Dr. Amy Bishop. I'm not saying that women should be required to take their husband's name, but the fact that she didn't when she got married is important. Trust me. Both Amy and Jimmy had graduated from Northeastern University by then, and that was due to Amy not taking any time off of school after her brother's death. Amy had written an honors thesis titled The Effect of Temperature on the Recovery of Sea Lamprey from Full Spinal Cord Transection. Catchy. This caught the attention of recruiters from Harvard University, and she enrolled there to get a PhD in genetics. Jimmy was kind of along for the ride. He was able to work on his own biology projects, but Amy suggested that he become a house husband so he could take care of their eventual kids. Amy also told Jimmy that he had to go by James everywhere. At the wedding, Jimmy Sr. asked his son why he was being called James when it wasn't his name. Jimmy Jr. responded, Amy thinks it's more acceptable. She doesn't want people to think I'm a southern redneck. James sounds better. She's in Harvard, Dad. Going to Harvard would become a big part of Amy's identity, eventually introducing herself to everyone as Dr. Amy Bishop Harvard Trained something her future colleagues would think was pretentious. Over the next four years, Jimmy and Amy would have their first three children, all daughters, while Amy was working on her doctorate. She struggled at Harvard, but finally finished a doctoral dissertation that got her a PhD. Someone who was familiar with her work at Harvard would say that her dissertation was a scandal at the school because it wasn't good and people felt like she should have never received her doctorate. Despite that, she had gotten it so she moved on to a postgraduate research fellowship. By now, Jimmy was having trouble holding down steady work, and the couple were struggling with bills. Amy wasn't performing well enough at the fellowship she had at the Harvard Medical Center. Her supervisor, Dr. Paul Rosenberg, had been having problems with Amy getting into altercations with her co-workers. Then she got upset that he wasn't able to give her doctoral dissertation a positive review. Then he had to give her a negative evaluation for her work in the lab, saying she couldn't meet the standards required for the work. 
Because of her extreme reaction to the evaluation, Dr. Rosenberg ended up convincing Amy to resign on November 30, 1993, and he would later say that her anger at him scared him at the time. On December 19, 1993, Dr. Rosenberg and his wife Harriet Moss had been out of town and the person they hired to take care of their cats had found a white cardboard package on their front porch. She picked it up and set it on the kitchen table before tending to the cats for the last time. Dr. Rosenberg and Harriet arrived home later that day and noticed the package awaiting their attention. At this time in the United States, the FBI were in the midst of a manhunt for someone they referred to as the Unabomber. That name came from the fact that he sent bombs to people who worked at universities, UN, and airlines, A, Unabomber. It had been all over the news, and since Dr. Rosenberg wasn't expecting a package, he was suspicious. He took his time cutting an opening in the center of the box, not at the seams where someone would normally open a box. Once able to peek inside, he saw wires and a piece of pipe. It only took a few minutes for police to arrive and start evacuating the entire block. The Unibomb task force arrived with a bomb squad and they investigated the package. They were two four-and-a-half-inch pipe bombs connected to two 9-volt batteries, which would have been triggered when Dr. Rosenberg lifted the flaps of the box. Cutting an opening in the center saved his life. There were enough explosives inside to kill him and possibly injure Harriet, depending on where she was standing at the time of the explosion. When the bomb was examined, it was determined to have not come from the Unabomber. The only suggestion Dr. Rosenberg would come up with for who might be angry enough to mail him a bomb was Amy Bishop. When authorities dug into Amy's life, they found that many people who had worked with her were afraid of her. She had been in major altercations with other people in the lab, accusing them of trying to take credit for her work. When they interviewed a man who had grown up with Jimmy, he told them that, a few years back, Jimmy was having problems with a neighbor and asked him to help him get a gun. The friend helped him purchase a Ruger P85 9mm semi-automatic pistol. The friend also told investigators that Jimmy had told him that he wanted to kill Dr. Rosenberg, specifically saying he wanted to shoot him, bomb him, stab him, or strangle him. Oh, well, what about drowning him? Left that out. An explosives expert determined that Jimmy's background in chemistry and engineering would make him more than capable of building a package bomb. Investigators got a warrant to search Amy's parents' house, the cottage house on the same property where Amy lived with her family, Jimmy's parents' house, and Jimmy's office. While they were searching the Bishop property, officers from the Braintree Police Department were on the scene for security, and not a single one of them mentioned that Amy had shot and killed her brother in that house seven years earlier. Investigators were able to trace the box used in the bomb to the Avery Office Supply Company, who told them that the box would have contained five-column accounting tablets. The FBI found those exact same tablets in a desk drawer in Jimmy's office. They also found a receipt for an electrical switch from Radio Shack and some parts from a hardware store that matched what had been used to build the bomb. This evidence wasn't enough to charge the couple with the crime, especially since Jimmy's friend stopped cooperating, but they continued to be the only suspects. Once again, Amy was off the hook for another crime that many people believed she had committed. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? 
It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Let's have a look at today's lineup. There's a strong Dunstore's influence from top to bottom, starting with selected boxes of bottled beer and cider like Heineken and Boomers from just €18.72. Half price Pringles are a very welcome inclusion indeed. 10 or 50 grocery vouchers doing their bit at the till as usual. All that's left to do now is enjoy the football. Dunn stores. Always better value. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used on next grocery shop of 50 euro or more. Voucher excludes alcohol. Please drink sensibly. Amy continued working in research at various hospitals, but she regularly lost her job because it was impossible to work with her. She tried writing fiction, but people said her writing was terrible, and she tried to work with another writer, but she burned that bridge as well. In 2001, Amy gave birth to her fourth child, a boy they named Seth. If that wasn't weird enough, he was born on his deceased uncle's birthday. In 2002, Amy and the family went to breakfast at an IHOP, and when she asked for a high chair, the waitress told her she had just given out the last one. Instead of waiting for one to become available, Amy walked up to the person who had just gotten the last high chair and demanded that she hand it over. She gave the woman a, I'm Dr. Amy Bishop, do you even know who I am? But the woman didn't, because why would she? A manager came out and asked Amy to leave, but before she did, she punched the other woman in the face. Amy was arrested, but eventually the charges were dropped. Again, Amy was off the hook. In 2003, Amy was offered a position as Associate Professor of Biology at the University of Alabama, Huntsville. After they got to the area, Amy and Jimmy began working on developing an automated cell incubator, basically an electric petri dish. As an Associate Professor at a university, Amy would be on track to gain tenure. Academic tenure is a means of appointing someone to an academic position indefinitely. They could only be fired under extraordinary circumstances, and it's supposed to be a way to keep teachers from being fired based on their various views. In order to gain tenure, you have to have a certain number of research papers published. She began spending most of her free time working on the electric Petri dish, so she wasn't authoring many research papers. The Petri dish was successful at first, though. The president of the university said in an interview that he believed the invention would change the way biological and medical research was conducted. It brought in more than a million dollars in research grants, and Amy was basking in the limelight. But because of this, she published only three research articles over five years, and none of those appeared in major publications. One of the publications was said to pretty much publish anything. After the initial hype of her and Jimmy's electric petri dish died down, many scientists would say that the idea was expensive and unnecessary. Then came the reviews from her students. Her teaching style was not popular, and students took to the website RateMyProfessors.com to express their opinions. Students called her aloof and arrogant. 
One review said, Dr. Bishop is very unclear in her test preparation, grading, and overall teaching style. She's not at all organized, and neither are her lab instructors. The tests are fairly easy, and you never really have to go to class except on review day. Another review said, For a Harvard graduate, she has very little common sense. Students complained that she just read straight from a textbook verbatim and didn't elaborate on anything. Others complained that she would give tests that had surprise material that was never covered in class. She was known to tell students that they weren't as bright as students from Harvard and once abruptly dismissed a group of graduate students from her lab. Her students began a petition to have Amy removed from the classroom, something that was not normal and showed just how much the students disliked their professor. They hand-delivered the petition to Dr. Gopi Padilla, the head of the Biological Sciences program, but he brushed it off as first-year jitters from a new professor. Much of their motivation to ignore the students' complaints was because they believed a Harvard-educated neurobiologist would be able to bring in a lot of grant money with her research, which was the secondary role of any university professor in the sciences. After three years with no published research papers, Amy had an article published in the Journal of Neurochemistry in 2009. She had a second paper appear in the same publication later that year. This was a respected peer-reviewed publication that was finally getting Amy back on track to receive her tenure. Then she published a third paper which appeared in the International Journal of General Medicine, which is considered a vanity press. That's a publication where an author can pay to have anything published. On top of that, the authors of the research paper were listed as Anderson L.B., Anderson P.B., Anderson T.B., Bishop A., and Anderson J. These were the names of herself, her husband, and her three daughters. In the article, Jimmy and their daughters are listed as employees of Cherokee Lab Systems, a company that was started by Jimmy. In an effort to play catch-up with her published work, she wrote a paper about her husband's research and paid to have it published. Obtaining tenure wasn't just about the title, though. Not only did it secure her job for the future, it was necessary for her to keep her job. After five years, an associate professor at UAH could apply for tenure. This would start the process of multiple reviews to ensure she was the right fit for tenure. If the professor didn't receive tenure after six years, though, their employment was terminated. After a lengthy review, Amy's tenure was denied. Amy was outraged and filed an appeal along with a claim of gender discrimination because one of the reviewing professors had said she was crazy. That professor was given the opportunity to retract his comment, but he refused. He said, I said she was crazy multiple times and I stand by that. This woman has a pattern of erratic behavior. She did things that weren't normal. She was out of touch with reality. Amy's appeal was denied. Of course, Amy began to rant that she was only denied tenure because everyone else was out to get her. She claimed, There are people in my department who have a personal beef with me. These people are directly involved with the tenure. I got a raw deal. Right. It had nothing to do with her lack of published work or her fake research paper. That paper was eventually retracted from the publication where it appeared. It also probably didn't have anything to do with the fact that she was such a terrible professor that her students had started a petition against her. 
Amy hired a lawyer and continued to fight the school, but at the beginning of February, she received an email from the university informing her that she had exhausted all of her appeals and her employment would be terminated at the end of the semester. The school had made their final decision and they were done with Amy Bishop. On February 12, 2010, Amy conducted her classes for the day, anatomy and physiology, and then introduction to neuroscience. After her second class, she drove home and had lunch with Jimmy, who would later say he didn't notice anything odd about his wife. She asked him to give her a ride back to the school so she could attend a faculty meeting. It was a Friday, and Jimmy said they talked about her going to the faculty meeting and then having him pick her up so they could go out for a date night. The purpose of the faculty meeting was to go over details for the next semester, schedules, budgets, and other mundane details. There was no reason for Amy to be there since it was about the next semester, so when she walked into the conference room and sat in a chair closest to the door, the other faculty were surprised but shrugged it off. Amy sat in the meeting for almost 40 minutes and didn't say a word. At 3.37 p.m., Dr. Gopi Padilla was just wrapping up the meeting when Amy pulled a Ruger P85 9mm semi-automatic pistol out of her bag and started shooting. She started with the person closest to her and just went around the table shooting each person in the head. She shot Dr. Padilla in the head, then she shot staff assistant Stephanie Monticciolo in the face. Dr. Maria Ragland Davis was shot in the head and chest before Amy shot Dr. Adriel Johnson in the head. Dr. Louis Cruz Vera was shot in the chest and Dr. Joseph Leahy was shot in the head. By now, most of the faculty had ducked under the table. Amy stood up and walked right up to Dr. Deborah Moriarty, who considered herself a friend of Amy's. She begged Amy not to shoot. Don't do this. Think of my children. Think of my grandchildren. Amy was unmoved and squeezed the trigger, but the gun jammed. Amy tried again and again to shoot the woman who considered her a friend, but the gun didn't fire. Dr. Moriarty took this opportunity to run out of the room, getting Amy to chase after her. Somewhere in the halls, she was able to lose Amy and double back to the conference room where she and other faculty barricaded the door. Dr. Cruz Vera called 911 on his cell phone while bleeding out from a gunshot wound to his chest. Dr. Moriarty took the phone and followed the instructions to put pressure on the wound. While that was going on, Amy had run down a flight of stairs and into a restroom on the second floor. There, she wrapped her gun in her jacket and then placed it in a garbage can. Right outside of the restroom, she borrowed a student's phone and called Jimmy. She told him the meeting was over and he could pick her up, like it was just another ordinary day and she hadn't just shot six people. The SWAT team was on site within minutes and they were informed that the shooter was Amy Bishop. Students were evacuated from the building and paramedics raced to the conference room to begin trying to save the lives of the shooting victims. Police cleared the building room by room and eventually found the blood-stained jacket and pistol in the garbage can in the second-floor restroom. An officer spotted a woman fitting Amy's description walking out of a door near a loading dock and ordered her to stop. She offered no resistance as an officer placed her in handcuffs and marched her to one of the police vehicles. Jimmy arrived at the university just in time to see his wife being put into the back of a police cruiser. When an officer identified him as Amy's husband, he was transported to the Huntsville Police Department. Dr. Gopi Padilla, Dr. Maria Ragland Davis, and Dr. Adriel Johnson died on the scene. 
Stephanie Monticciolo, Dr. Louis Cruz Vera, and Dr. Joseph Leahy would all recover from their wounds. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month, and you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. During the initial investigation, detectives questioned Jimmy, who said he had no idea Amy was going to shoot anyone. At this point, Amy's record was squeaky clean. On paper, Amy had no history of violence despite having shot and killed her brother, sent a package bomb to her former boss, and attacked a woman in an IHOP. Jimmy didn't offer any of those details. When investigators asked if he owned a gun, he said yes, but failed to tell them that he and Amy had recently gone target shooting with that very firearm. When Jimmy called Judy to let her know that her daughter was in jail and why, Judy asked, You didn't have a gun in the house, did you? While being booked, Amy refused to acknowledge that she was even in the conference room that day. I mean, there were ten surviving eyewitnesses who placed her there, and I know eyewitness testimony can be wrong, but ten people who all knew Amy very well, identifying her immediately after the shooting, seems pretty solid. When police searched the Bishop Anderson house, they took computers, a video camera, and a folder that Amy used to store all the documents in her legal battle over tenure. Then they found a piece of pipe that matched the type of pipe used in the package bomb sent to Dr. Paul Rosenberg in 1993. They called the bomb squad, who determined that there were no explosives in the pipe, but the fact that it was a match was an interesting detail. It added to the increasing amount of coincidences that led authorities to believe that Amy and Jimmy were the ones who sent the package bomb, but there was never enough evidence to make an arrest, and the case was shelved after Amy's murder case. When Braintree Police Chief Paul Frazier saw the news of the shooting at the University of Alabama Huntsville, he read the article and found out that the shooter was none other than Amy Bishop. It turned out that most cops in Braintree knew that Amy had murdered her brother. But it was the police chief at the time, John Polio, who let her off the hook and there was a very good reason. It turned out that Chief Polio was friends with Judy Bishop. Judy had been a major supporter of Chief Polio while she was a member of the town council. This is why, 
While Amy was sitting in an interview room at the Braintree Police Station, Judy was able to barge in, ask for John on a first-name basis, and immediately have a private meeting with the police chief. After that, Chief Polio ordered Amy to be released. Police didn't talk to her again for 11 days, something that's unprecedented in an investigation into a shooting causing a death. Once the current police chief saw that Amy had killed again, he called the Huntsville police and informed them of the past case. He promised to send more details to Huntsville, but first he had to find them. It seemed that not only did Chief Polio release a murderer, he also tried to cover up the crime. When they pulled the records from the incident, there were a few basic reports, but nothing about Amy's arrest or the details surrounding the incident. Chief Frazier would end up finding the files regarding the 1986 murder of Seth Bishop stored at the late Ted Buker's house. He was the police captain that Chief Polio ordered to release Amy. He had died in 1993, so they would never know exactly why the files were hidden at his house. Inside the files were crime scene photos of the Bishop house, and investigators noticed an issue of the National Enquirer on the floor of Amy's bedroom. That particular issue contained a story about how actor Patrick Duffy's parents had been murdered with a shotgun, and then the attackers used the shotgun to steal a getaway car. This wouldn't seem important unless you knew the whole story surrounding Seth Bishop's death. After Amy shot Seth, she fled the house out the back door, crossed the street, and went into an alley that dead-ended at a Ford dealership. The dealership was closed, but there were some mechanics hanging out in the shop. Amy approached them and pointed the shotgun at them, demanding a car. She told them that she was trying to escape her husband. Two of the mechanics ran, and the third was frozen in fear. He didn't have access to any vehicles. Soon a police officer arrived and commanded Amy to drop the weapon. She refused. She and the officer stood, locked in a stalemate her pointing the shotgun at the officer, and him pointing his service weapon at the young woman. When another officer arrived, he snuck up behind Amy, and when his weapon was within point-blank range, he ordered her to drop the shotgun, and she finally did. Investigators also discovered that Amy's story of the shooting being an accident wasn't likely. Amy had taken four rounds out of the ammunition box. She fired one round in her bedroom and then racked the gun to eject that shell casing, loading the next round into the chamber. Police found the shell casing in her bedroom. The second round had killed Seth, and then she racked the shotgun again. This put the third round into the chamber, and police found a fourth round in her jacket pocket when she was arrested. After accidentally shooting someone, racking the shotgun to load another round seems like strange behavior. But that wasn't all. Judy claimed that she had been home at the time of Seth's shooting and could verify that it was an accident, but after interviewing multiple people, the timeline didn't add up. It was unlikely that Judy was home when the shooting happened, so she lied to protect her daughter. What investigators believed happened was, Judy was alone in the house when she retrieved the shotgun and loaded it. Then she fired a shot in her bedroom to test fire it something her mother would have easily heard if she was home. When Seth came home, Amy walked downstairs and shot him because she couldn't handle him stealing the spotlight from her. She ran out the back door just before Judy got home and called the police. The police arrived as Amy was trying to hijack a vehicle at gunpoint, just like she had read about in the National Enquirer. 
It was one thing to not know immediately that Amy had intentionally killed her brother, but she still attempted to steal a car at gunpoint and pointed a gun at an officer. She should have at least been charged with those crimes initially, but Judy stormed in and got her friend, the police chief, to let her go. Then he waited for the family to get their story straight before he sent detectives to question them. Oh, and then he had Captain Buker take the files home and hide them. The community in Huntsville was outraged by the details of the botched investigation into the murder of Seth. If they had held Amy responsible for her first murder, she probably wouldn't have shot six people at UAH in 2010. A trustee at the university said, People kept sweeping her bad behavior under the rug, and now we're paying a tremendous price. On June 16, 2010, a grand jury in Massachusetts indicted Amy Bishop for the first-degree murder of Seth Bishop. Two days later, Amy used a razor blade to slash her wrists in her cell. She was found by a guard and her wounds were treated. At trial, Amy entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. What defines insanity in a court of law is not the same as what defines insanity in psychology in general. Technically, anyone who up and murders someone has some sort of mental illness. In a court of law, to be found insane, you have to have not understood that what you were doing was wrong at the time of the act, and not your own definition of wrong. Not like, I know this is technically illegal, but I don't think it's wrong. You have to not understand that it's wrong according to the law. The simple act of trying to cover up your crime is enough to prove that you knew that what you were doing was wrong. Her running to the bathroom and trying to hide the gun shows that she knew what she was doing was wrong. That's how an insanity defense normally works in court. Because of her actions immediately after the shooting, it was unlikely that she was going to be found not guilty. When she was offered a plea deal to take the death penalty off the table, they offered her life without parole if she pleaded guilty and waived her right to appeal. The prosecutor wanted to protect the victims and their families from having to go through the trial process again. Amy initially rejected the offer, but her parents convinced her to take it. On September 24, 2012, Amy Bishop pleaded guilty to one count of capital murder and three counts of attempted murder and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Massachusetts declined to seek extradition so Amy could be tried for Seth's murder since they knew she would never be released from prison in Alabama. Despite waiving her right to appeal, Amy appealed her conviction in 2013, citing she didn't understand her rights when she signed the waiver. It was quickly rejected. Amy, who didn't take her husband's name because she wanted to be Dr. Amy Bishop, began using Jimmy's name in prison. Once she became a convicted murderer, she was Amy Anderson, but this isn't the first time she used that name. After she was arrested for assaulting the woman at IHOP in 2002, she filled out a statement and signed it, Amy Anderson. That was an attempt to hide her behavior from her colleagues and not spoil the good name of Dr. Amy Bishop. It seems like she was attempting the same thing here, trying to preserve the memory of Dr. Amy Bishop by making Amy Anderson the bad guy. It didn't work, though, because if you search the name Dr. Amy Bishop, all you find is information about how she's a monster. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online.
This website is set up so that at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can also check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our new merch at Teespring. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month, and you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash bestmusic for details. Shrink your Christmas bill at Dunn Stores. Delicious free-range 4-kilo Irish turkeys are just $39.99. And incredible unsmoked centre-cut Irish ham is now just $13.59 for 2.75 kilos. That's 20% off. King prawn cocktail and oak and peat cold smoked salmon are just €6. Plus, with our 10 or 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher abuse to next grocery shop of €50 or more. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather. Predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CERTAIreland.ie.